Hey guys, welcome to episode 162 of the podcast. Of course, we are midstream. Does that make sense? Sure, it makes sense. Uh, in our Boys of Summer series, and I wanted to welcome you into this episode with the charming and extremely talented musician, Rhett Miller. I want to get some shout outs in, guys. I know I had to skip them last time. Um, here I go, catching up on some of it. I want to thank um, Andrew and uh, two Andrews, actually. You know who you are. I want to thank Justin in Australia for your email kit, for your great... Um, notes uh, and tweets about uh, the Annie Savage episode. I want to thank Laura for letting me know that um, the JV Club was mentioned as a pick on the 250th episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. It made me so delighted. And uh, Laura, thank you for pointing that out. A a few people told me about it afterwards, but uh, you were the first, my dear. So shout out to you. I want to thank Jacob and Jenny and uh, Andrew and Callum for your wonderful guest suggestions. I want to thank the folks over at Damnation Land, uh, which is a um, festival featuring main filmmakers, horror films. Very niche, guys. Very niche. And uh, and I want to thank Aaron from Twitter. And I will get caught up on Facebook and more Twitter shout outs soon. I am um, very excited about Connecticon, the Comic-Con that I will be at this upcoming weekend. And uh, sorry to miss the San Diego Comic-Con, but they just fell on the same date this year and and, uh, and I needed to do Connecticut. Uh, it's going to be great to be on the East Coast. And then I will be in Vancouver at their Comic-Con. I, I guess I shouldn't say Comic-Con because that's kind of like a trademark term. But I will be at, uh, at a con in Vancouver the following weekend. Um, uh, and then in Tampa at the end of the month, I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling. So I hope I get to see you guys in person. And in the meantime, I welcome you in once again to the episode and hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Now entering Nerdist.com. Sort of a sound check. I mean, you're the person who I don't because I sound checked the microphones already, and I do a. But you don't know how loud I talk. <laughs> I do such a good impression of you. It, I th- I myself podcast for one hour as you before I realized. Oh, I'm not. That's not Rhett. That's just me. And you might just. I have use a mental that. illness. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Um, first of all, you're adorable for putting that pillow in your lap. I feel now like. Well, thanks. Just a couple of li- girls, Gavin. I don't know why that pillow would would cross over, would cross that line for me, where all of a sudden you're extra adorable, but you really are. Oh, thanks. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. I had to take my shoes off and cross my legs on your couch. It's very comfy. Those are couch. very cute socks too. These are yeah. They gave them yeah, to me for those free because I'm a rock legs? star. <laughs> well, one is completely different than the other, except in their color Just scheme. Just hang on. Oh, isn't that weird? I was on Those tour with this, this woman, Nikki Lane. And Nikki Lane is this amazing young rock and roll star. And she, everywhere she goes, people just give her like these amazing free clothes and yeah. stuff. So I sort of got lucky and was along for the ride one day. No kidding. I wish, I, I would be, it would be cool. Like I, first of all, I love all of you guys who are huge Cora fans. And everybody who's ever given me a present, I've absolutely loved it. With a couple of exceptions where you're like, wait a minute, what is this? I think you think I'm someone else. This has nothing to do with me. But it's never as generic. It's usually not as generic as just like, here's a great couple of, yeah, here's a great pair of socks. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it would be cool if the, if it was just like, 
I can't, this is the most, I can't, that's the most complainy thing I've ever said about the nicest stuff in the world. <laughs> it's not a complaint at all. But if someone wanted to like also give Hook me just up. like, here's some striped socks that have nothing to do with the JV club yeah. or Cora, but just here's some socks I thought you would like. Well, I'll I'd tell be you, like, listen, I'm going to send you some socks back. Maybe I should have a sock club. Stance socks. I'll say it right now. Stance socks. Janet Varney is a fashion icon and would rock your socks so hard. I mean. Tag them in this. I could get it. <laughs> I don't even. I don't know what that means. Is that that's promotion? Is that a search yeah. engine uh, situation? <laughs> oh God, old lady, old lady Varney. <laughs> and also, how immediately when you set down your stuff, took off your shoes, and already there's a guitar pick sitting on this. Well, table. I was going to tune your twelve string guitar for you. Oh, you pulled it out when you saw that. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't look at a guitar that pretty and not just pull a guitar pick out. <laughs> what if um that's all I? I was like, you know what? Let's just make this podcast about you tuning a twelve string guitar. Honestly, that'll, be, I, that'll stay interesting for I'd be two fine. three hours. <laughs> I'd love that. You'd be fine with it. Yeah, I now see. We were talking right before we started about. Um, pre the days of pre tuners, you know, when I was 19, I dropped out of college and started my first band and it was a three piece pop band, you know, pop rock band. Mm-hmm. And, um, how I do played, you, what, what do you mean by pop rock? Like, oh, when it's, you... it's not Lana Del Rey or whatever. Right. It's, it's like, um, there's a band called material issue okay. that was, uh, that was around at the same time. That was also a three piece pop band. And um, and three pieces typically what guitars, ba- guitar, bass, and drums. Three pieces when you take the album to um, the woman that runs Island Records, and she says, "So you're really going to put a record out with no lead guitar on it?" Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> That's three pieces. Okay. Um, although typically, like right now, there's this woman from Australia named Courtney Barnett, who's so amazing, and she plays. Um, her band is the Courtney Barnett Three, and she does a thing not dissimilar to what Kurt Cobain did, where she plays an electric guitar. There's no real guitar solos mm-hmm. per se, but her guitar work is interesting enough, and then the rhythm section is strong enough to where you don't miss it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we live in a world where the solos sort of took over for a lot of the '70s, a lot of the '80s. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of prog rock and a lot of people that spend a lot of time wanking on guitar uh-huh. solos. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel I need that. No. Because I feel we had that. We've we've got enough. I mean, you know, Eddie Van Halen did it and everybody after that is just like, okay, I'm a different version of this. Right. So so how pop... So poppy. Okay. Oh, okay, so, I think my problem is, is that I can't not... Like, I'm so... I know that pop includes more than New Kids on the Block. I know. And when I look backwards, like... I'm 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 only willing to classify bands I liked into a category that isn't pop. Sure. But that's not accurate. Like Erasure's real poppy, but I would be like, it's alternative, everybody. Yeah. Or like it's electronic. Do you know what I mean? Like I've found my way to kind of navigate past pop because I have a negative association with it, which is absolutely ludicrous. I shouldn't. Well no, everybody does. It it happened. At a certain point it happened, and it was maybe right after nineteen ninety when I did this band. But it was for a while, pop was a thing that referenced like a really Beatlesy kind of okay. See, there you go, kinksy thing. And yeah. you were talking more about sixties pop, and yeah. you thought of like mod styles, exactly. And, and you know, big sort of like that that Target design where there's different blue and red and white. And, yes, you know, and yes, that's like poppy, poppy. And okay, but was yeah, that but, what you would associate more with what yes, you were doing? Okay, yeah, well, there you much. go. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Because yeah. you weren't just like. I mean, you're a very handsome man, but you're but it, but there's no it's never been just like non-substantive. I did it. Well, thank you. I did a TV show uh, on VH1 the other morning with Nick Lachey, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, and it was pretty. How did that come to be? Well, you know what we realized was that um, I was in a band. I am in a band called Old Ninety Sevens, and he was in a band called 
98 degrees. <laughs> so we decided we'd start a super group. Well, old, old 98 Perfect. degrees. Perfect. <laughs> Old ninety eight degrees. That you know that that's when ninety eight degrees has gone has gone stale. It's been in the refrigerator too long. It's been in the oven too long. Yeah. I don't know how hot or cold ninety eight degrees is. Clearly, very cold. Why were they called ninety eight degrees? Because that's like the body ninety eight point six is your body. You know that's a great question. It's slightly below body temperature. Nick Lachey, could you come in here, please? This is like the most boring, this is your life ever. You're like, I met him one time, Janet. Why do you have, I only have people you kind of have met once and worked with. 98 degrees, because the body is 98 degrees. That is the most clinical, (laughs) uninteresting. Well, he had great abs, though. He had such Mm. great abs. (laughs) Who was the, um, why were you seeing his abs? What was he? Because there was a comedian on before me, Eric, um, I can't remember his name. God, he's so funny though. Um, but he was screaming. He was really being inappropriate. And he was uh-huh. to the to the sweet girl that was interviewing him. And he was screaming, "Nick, get in here! Let me see your abs!" And finally, Nick slunk into the the space in VH1 and lifted his shirt up. Rock hard, oh, rock awesome. hard. Janet. You know, I when I was working out with a trainer whom I adore. And, uh, and he's, he had now has a podcast on the Nerdist network that he's just started and he trained, I'm introduced him to Hardwick and now he trains all these comedians. Um, but he was very, and in fact, he is the trainer that Chris talks about in his, in his Nerdist book. Um, but he's really, he was always so great at kind of putting that stuff in perspective for me, which was basically to say like, is that what you want your focus to be? Because if you (laughs) want your focus to be rock hard abs, I'm going to take Three other things that you enjoy and are important to you, not unhealthy things, just things that you will have to give up because your focus will be constantly on your abs. Yeah. You won't get to read books. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm, I think, thank you. Thank you for that because that is not what I want to do. Exactly. I don't want that to be a huge focus of my life. Well, you're looking great, Varney. Thanks. I'm not going to show you my abs. (laughs) You don't have to show me yours. That's not this kind of podcast. Nick, that's not this kind of podcast. I don't know if he heard me. <laughs> Frankly, I don't know where he is or how far away he is. Um, and well, now that I've said that, why don't you uh, tell the listener why you're named the old 97s? Oh, so um, I, I'll start a little bit beforehand just to give you some idea of the influence of the person who came up with the name. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I was 15, I, I became friends with Murray Hammond, who is now the bass player in the old 97s. And actually, the reason I know you originally, we mm-hmm. met through Murray and his... And Gray. And Gray. And... Um, which was great. Thank God for him for that. If nothing else, for if that. nothing, and pr- pretty much for nothing else. What a useless waste of space, Murray Hammond is. When I was thirteen, I was dating a girl who was slightly older than me. She was, um, she and I did a band, little band together, and she had a friend. They were both named Jennifer. So many Jennifers, mm-hmm. and she had a friend who was dating Murray. And so, I wish they, the band had been named so many Jennifers. So many Jennifers. I did eventually have a song on the record. I did the instigator that started with the line, Jennifer one was a racehorse rider. Uh-huh. <laughs> As if to imply there was just a long string yeah, of yeah, Jennifers yeah. after that. Yep. Um, so she introduced me to Murray and Murray was my mentor for a lot of years. And where I, was this taking place? Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, he lived in this little sort of band house in lower Greenville. And I lived very close to that in the house of my family, uh, which was sort of disintegrating at the time. You know, it was right when my dad was moving out and I was doing, I did my first gig at 15. Murray gave me my first gig when I was 15 in April of 18, 1980. 
Now, uh, this is, we kind of buried the lead. Red is a time traveler. Yes. I probably should have said that up front. But what a fun, delightful surprise for you guys to get. Well, I do feel old, but it was 1986, in fact. And um, Murray gave me my first gig, and, and he and I were really cl- close. He you know, taught me everything about you know, being in a rock band and hanging out with musicians. And I really loved it, because everybody was so friendly and nice. And, I mean, and Dallas had a good music scene, I guess. Really did at the time. Kind of still does, huh? It was huh? so underground. It goes up and down, like yeah. probably like most scenes. I think right now it's pretty healthy mm-hmm. but dallas is the kind of place where the emphasis you know it's like what you're talking about you can focus on one thing but you lose a lot of things right. dallas focuses on commerce you know um you know from the outside you'd see it as like women with big hair and men with you know huge bank accounts i mean and, there was a show called dallas that was just kind of only about that I guess. it was a documentary uh-huh. i don't know if you knew that you know what i've never seen dallas never you're not i listening. know that i'm supposed to care who shot jr <laughs> But only because that was on the cover of magazines when yeah. I was a kid. And I had no... All I thought was... And this is true. Because I was obsessed with I Dream of Genie reruns. All I, all I said was like, oh my God. Somebody shot... That's... Yeah. Larry, yeah, Genie's husband. Somebody shot Genie. Yeah, wait. What was it? Tony. Tony. Somebody oh, shot right. Tony's. The first Tony. Weren't there no, two? No, no. Oh, that was Bewitched. Bewitched. Yeah, the Darren's. Oh, all the reruns the of our youth. Yeah. Um, but so I Mar- love those two. I mean, I for sure wanted to be magical. So... Oh, yeah. Well, you kind of are. Thanks. Um, I kind of look weird. like uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. You do so look I've like her. Um, does that work out well? Is that like a good look? I mean, it's not something that like pops out of someone's face the instant they meet me. I then I don't think it's a negative thing, well, but clearly. I agree that she's not like a sex kid. She's not. Well, you also get Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah, and then she played her. So everything oh. comes full circle. So you should play Nicole Kidman playing. <laughs> There's, they're going to do a biopic about the making of that movie. No one cared about. R.I.P. Nora Ephron, I adore you, but that is not a good example of your fine work. All right. So, oh, so Murray, <laughs> so Murray taught me how to be in a rock band. He taught me how to, you know, I was, it was whatever, all those things. His, his roommate had like a three-chambered bong and I smoked weed for the first time. And you were only 13? At that time I was 15. Okay. And then 16 and 17. And then I, I, I really didn't do well in school, but I was doing well in music and playing gigs. And so when it came time to uh, apply to colleges, I only applied to Bennington and Sarah Lawrence, the okay. two freakiest, most liberal schools in America. Isn't there a great music school in Denton? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's... Uh, a couple of years before, I tried to get into the high school for sort of the performing arts okay. high school in Dallas. And I went and I brought in my guitar, my 12-string actually, and I played the songs I had written. You know, I played a song called uh, Marching Madman about the prolifer- proliferation of nuclear weapons oh and all this stuff. It was I so stupid. It. Seashell Girl, which was about a girl who had seashells. Whatever. whatever. I'm not even going to go into it. It was dumb. You know what? Uh, side note. I, the, all this, by the way, is a podcast could be called Side Note because all it is is just derailing the, con- the current conversation. Um, but have you ever done a thing where like, you know, some people play a set of their first song, like, would have you, I I just talked to someone who was like, I'm going to play a set of the first six songs I ever wrote or something like that. And they were like, you know, like with the idea that you're sort of shrugging and going like, well, but just for fun, have you ever done that? I, well, I've, I, I've pulled out the very first song I ever wrote, but then there was like a hundred after that that were unlistenable. (laughs) So I don't really remember two through 99. Right. But the first song I ever wrote was a song about Charles Manson, oh and it was so it was so sweet in a way. It was kind of great. It was like a, Charles Willis Manson. Oh boy, look what you've done! You killed the actress and the hairdresser too. Charlie, what they ever do to you? Aww. 
God, you were like preempting Sufjan Stevens because he wrote that one song about like John Wayne Gacy that's really beautiful. His whole career. It sounds like a lullaby. Everything sounds like a lullaby. And you're like, this is horrible. This is just about killers and death (laughs) and like people being snowed in. I don't know. That may not be a thing. So Murray was my mentor and he was came to oh, so I took so I applied to Bennington and this is all how the old ninety sevens got our name. And an hour from now we will I'll yeah. finally say, and that's how the old ninety sevens got two hours. <laughs> um so um Murray was my guy and, and I did solo acoustic gigs and I was like a folk singer around town and in the press they would write Teen Folky, you know, Rhett Miller, pretty boy teen folky. I got there that a you lot. go. Yeah. Tiger Beat Teen Folky. Yeah. In fact I, I got around that time I got interviewed for Seventeen magazine and it's an interview oh. that still sort of gets popped up. In fact, I'll try and find that. I probably read it because I was real into Seventeen when I was really young. Because I want, I was like, listen, I'm a grown up, so I read Seventeen even though I'm twelve. Of course. Well, that's. I think Seventeen is for twelve year olds. It's not for seventeen year olds. Um, and I think it was an issue that had uh, an early Cameron Diaz on the cover oh, as a model. Great, sure, 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 sure. Acting career, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a pretty embarrassing interview because I did. The, I, 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 we just started my band Sleepy Heroes with Murray, mm-hmm. and I said, "Okay, well, I'll do this I interview for name. Seventeen Magazine." No offense to old ninety seven. I'm I not know. suggesting you change, but boy, boy, it was such a better name. The word "old" is bad marketing, apparently. Hmm. It turns out. Okay. Yeah. Um, unless you finally stay a band long enough to get old, and then uh-huh. it's like, boom, it uh-huh. worked out. <laughs> we did it, everybody. It's a long term commitment. Exactly. So. Uh, Anyway, they, they they promised me it would be a really serious interview about music for Seventeen Magazine. Oh, I love yeah. it. I got to cough then, that up Well, I, I gave him all these great quotes about music. And then uh, the editor called me back on the eve of publication and said, I have to ask you a couple more questions. I'm sorry. I know that you wanted to really be about music. And then she proceeded to ask me four questions about girls. And that was all they ran. Of course. <laughs> of course. And the worst I was, cannot wait to see this interview. I'm so excited to find it online. I gave one answer that I thought would be the kind of answer that would preclude the inclusion of that answer. Mm. Because it was so dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, this is me and before I even understood anything about publicity. Yeah. You know? Which, by the way, I still I feel like I, you know, just stuff comes out of me then. Like, oh, I guess a savvier person wouldn't have said that. Yeah. But that's... I, I think that probably everyone likes that about you. Thank you. For <laughs> Your lack of savvy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Everyone's been saying that. Um, so, but so the question was, she goes, what do you look for in a girl? And I said, grooviness is essential. Oh, my God. Grooviness oh my is God. essential. And so I'm I, surprised it didn't switch you to the cover <laughs> with just a big quote. Grooviness is it. Rhett Miller, colon, grooviness is essential. I still get people walk up after shows and say, hey, man, grooviness. I'm like, yeah, it's essential. I got it. (laughs) That's amazing. Okay, old 97. Now I'm. Murray was my mentor. And then I went went off to, I applied to Bennington and Sarah Lawrence. And even though my grades were terrible. And so, okay, so you said your reason was that those were two wacky, wacky schools? Like they they were progressive. Grades. Uh, Brett Easton Ellis had gone to, this was in the less than zero era when he was sort of ruling the book people world and sure. i really i wanted to be a writer that was my main thing and i thought i thought i really like music but this doesn't seem realistic right like like being a freaking novelist is realistic i think we all have those where we're like you know what seems more likely and yeah. then you list off that other career aspiration and people are like what i know like you i Why think i'm gonna you... go be an actor and a voiceover actor yeah oh really good luck with that yeah and look at you 
What? By the way, I'm sitting at Janet's house right now, and it's like a mansion. First of all, it's a three-room house <laughs> in total. If you guess if you count the bathrooms, it's four and a half. But it's really beautiful. Thank you. It's a little uh, respite from Los Angeles. Is what I, I guess my point is that it's worked out pretty well for both of us. We, we both get to have good lives. Knock wood. Knock wood. Jesus. Um, fate. And how did you get your name old 97s? <laughs> okay. So that's, that's coming. I tried to make it as fresh of a sounding question as I could. Like, you know what just occurred to me? I don't know how you have the name old 97s. I know. Well, I guess my point was I really wanted you to see what sort of influence. That's, that's all I want. That's Murray. all I want for the next three and a half hours. <laughs> it's true. I'm just being facetious. I like how the time gets longer mm-hmm, and longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so Murray exerted a lot of influence over me. And and when I was in, I went to Sarah Lawrence. Of the two, I got into oh, both schools, okay. not to brag. You did get into both schools. I got into Even both schools. Even though you weren't a great student. Terrible. But I had released an album and it, it had uh, been reviewed well in like Billboard magazine. And I was doing gigs. And I, and I was good at writing. I did really well in, um, you know, I was, I, <laughs> the school I went to was a private school. And I was doing so poorly in my junior year. And they had years before kicked out Steve Miller. And so when I was doing, Amazing. I was getting Fs. And they were like, we should kick you out. This is, you know, a prestigious private school, St. Mark's School of Texas in uh-huh. Dallas. And, you know, Owen Luke Wilson went there. Oh, um, nice. You know, a, a lot of, and then a lot of smart people who went on and made money and we know don't know their name. They uh-huh. went there also. Yes, and, yes. Um, so they were going to, they were thinking that they had to kick me out. And then finally they're like, ah, oh, Steve Miller, whenever he comes back to do an alumni event, gouges us. Oh. So we're going to let you graduate. Wow. So who that, knew Steve Miller would do you such a huge solid? I know, right? And so my senior year, I took Shakespeare, creative writing. I only took English classes, yeah. basically, and choir. And so um, so I applied to these two schools that, in, in the hopes of you know creative writing, studying creative writing. And my... Uh, now I'm now I'm the one really going off on tangents. My my essay I used the same essay for both schools, but why wouldn't you? Why well, no? What exactly. are they going to talk to each other? <laughs> and it was such a crazy essay. It was, um, you know, the word potential follows me like the furies. I'm sort of trying to explain away all that. Oh God, you know, this is my, wonderful. My two older brothers were stillborn, and my parents half expected the same from me. Oh no, which is so gross. I know. I mean, who even wants to hear that? My mom was like, "Wow, you didn't have to tell them that." Oh, no. Yeah, I did, Mom. I'm keeping it real. Oh God. So I went to Sarah Lawrence on a full scholarship, and and. A full Scholarship. Full and it was the most expensive college in the country. God damn! I know, and my parents didn't have money, so they were like, "This is amazing." Yeah. And so after one semester, it was a great semester. I made tons of friends, all of whom were seniors and about to graduate. And I did all this great stuff. I uh, Murray came to visit me, um, and he was living at the time in Rockville. Maryland working in a cabinet shop and just like dying. You know, people say, Oh, he's literally dying. He was literally dying. Yeah. You know, um, although we all are, so it's easy to say that. Um, (laughs) So true. He, science, uh, he would take his crappy little, um, bus. He had like a Volkswagen bus and he would, and it would break down halfway and he'd drive up and visit me. And, um, we'd smoke pot in my, you know, dorm room and not that I advocate that, but God, this probably contributed to this decision. And he said, just move back to Dallas, drop out of school. We're going to start a band. You don't want to do, you'll get a job. If you stay in college, you're going to just go get a stupid job and then you're going to not ever do music. And I thought, yeah, he's right. Uh-huh. If I have a safety net, then I'll never, you know. There is that. I mean, there's a combination. I, I'm, I'm always interested in that conversation because that was something that was thrown at me when I first moved here or even before I moved here. That I really had a hard time with. Well, we'll get back to that because I'm interested in that concept. But it's but it's true. I mean, because if you 
I mean, I don't know how your early, early but career see, I don't went. know. Yeah. I, hmm. But I lived in squalor. Yeah. Abject squalor. From yeah. when I dropped out of college in 19 to the time I was 29, and I started finally making money for music. I didn't break 20000 a year. I was eating ramen noodles every night. Mm. I walked so many leases. I walked out on so many electric God. bills. You know, it's weird. And it was, you know, though, it sounds like I'm bemoaning it. It was amazing. Those years were incredible. Well, no, I think that's, I mean, I, I guess maybe I'm romanticizing it enough that I, that I don't think of it as complaining or that I don't, because I do, I mean, I agree, I, I do agree. I'm not saying that for everyone, everything is always true and that like you can't have a safety net or you won't pursue your passion or the, or that the opposite is true. Um, but I, but certainly I agree with you that like, once you get comfortable, it's hard to get uncomfortable. And so if you just, if you have a thing that is really hard to succeed at and you don't do something else, it's like, well, I do have this other job that affords me these things. It starts to kind of like, you know, put a little bit of a grimy face on something that is like something you really should be pursuing. So I get it. Yeah. But but it's that thing. It's like if somebody's meant to do it, they'll do it. You know, right. regardless of what anybody says. And and I feel like I was meant to do music. I do. I missed out on some pretty amazing opportunities at Sarah Lawrence. There's some great teachers there. And and now I I, I always said in my 40s I'm going to start um, pursuing fiction seriously um, because at that point whatever will have happened with music will have happened. And mm-hmm. so. And, uh, and I am really starting to write more and more these days. And, um, and now it's like, I wish I could just go back to Sarah Lawrence now. Like how creepy would I be like the 40 something year old guy? Hey guys. Hey, you know, it's one of the reasons I picked it as a college was because it was like 75% female. Uh (laughs) I mean, mean, it's in the name. It's a a girl's name. Yeah. (laughs) So Marie came up. And um, convinced me to drop out of school, and we and I did. And we came- do you guys have you had a conversation? I'm sure you've had multiple conversations since. Has he ever been like? I mean, I do feel kind of guilty about. Oh hell no! A beautiful southern goes, accent. No, it was me. I did it. Okay, I got it. You know, I hate school. Loud and proud. Murray is a he's a punk rocker. That's what, where his heart was, and now he seems like a you know a hayseed or whatever. Yeah. Oh no, me doing his accent does not. I don't mean to suggest that, but he does have like. Pretty much the you, you guys are very... I mean, it makes sense to me that you guys are friends because certainly what you have in you is, is straight up rock and roll. And like, you know, I I totally believe and appreciate the punk rock aspect. But it, you are living proof in the same way Rob Zombie is of you you can't make assumptions about someone's core personality based on like an edginess or a recklessness or a fuck you-ness that they bring to their art necessarily yeah. because you guys are like some of my favorite people like you're funny and warm and there's like a gentleness to you in this but there's also you know you could be an asshole if you want you know what i mean but like that's just i mean and also i met murray as texas dad so i guess the first time i ever really met him and saw him he was just like you know engaging with this amazing little boy and yeah he's he's really really sweet and he always has been what a great hayseed I know he's uh, yeah, but he is. He talks about you know he's from outside outside Fort Worth. When someone says, "Well, I'm from a little bit outside Fort Worth," you're like, "Wow, that's <laughs> that's pretty far in the middle of nowhere." Right. But um, but yeah, he's a I sweet dude. On, on him, that accent works like a charm. Oh, it really does. It's so and it's funny. I moved to L.A. before he did, and I I was you know pursuing a a girl, a Dallas girl that lived out here and did um producing in movies and was really cool. And I was really glad that. 
that she sort of gave me a reason to move out of Dallas and to move to LA and I've, I, the friends I've made here and like kind of the connections through that Largo scene. Um, I just have really loved LA over the years, but Murray gave me such grief about it when I first moved mm-hmm. here. You're turning into somebody I don't even know. Oh. oh, okay. Now he lives in Pasadena. That's right. You know, that's right. But you don't have an accent. Did you, I, I should. a lot of people in oh. Dallas I know don't. I'm a seventh generation Texan. And did you have one? And do you, do you, do you remember getting rid of it or? Like, did you notice that it just kind of got rid of it? It, uh, I think when I was a little kid, I did a little bit, but I was such an Anglophile from such an early age. Mm-hmm. And my, my, the record I made in high school is embarrassingly British. Like, you know, seashell girl keeps fire and so Oh, you almost actually have a British accent. Yeah. You? Wonderful. That was, uh, da- it was, yeah. That's why I've tried to keep it from being re-released, that record. Um, I like what I'm hearing. Yeah. On just some, the description and what I just heard come out of your mouth. So the way the old 97s got our name was that Murray (laughs) (laughs) had convinced me to drop out of college and I moved back to Dallas and we started bands that we thought might get signed because at the time, and this is crazy because I think it's different now. At the time, the the end all be all uh, goal of of a young musician was to sign a contract with a record label, which is so weird because it's such a lopsided contract. It's not good for the musician, but it was such a validation at the time. Sure. And it offered such opportunities for sort of winning the lottery because maybe you get to be the band that has a hit song. Oh, you get to be the Gin Blossoms or whatever it was in the 90s. You know what I think is interesting about this? Uh, Because I won't ever let you say how you got the name ever. (laughs) Is that that just the the idea of making the decision to do something that feels like a lottery in a lot of ways, but everything you described, you know, just living in squalor and, and not bringing money in and having to eat ramen and all that kind of stuff that somehow I don't, it's, it's almost like I, you, I, I would imagine pushing it all the way to the furthest degree, which is like, and I don't want to be signed because I don't believe in da 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 da. So it's an interesting combination of sort of, like, you know, we we wanted to have this commercial success, so we were doing bands that we hoped would have that, opposed to, but you were still following your passion, opposed to, you know, we didn't care if we were going to get time, we were just going to play the music we wanted to play, or, well, you know, I was working at uh, Williams-Sonoma, and I, but I wanted a band, so yeah. we tried to come up with a band that would get signed, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can sort of see how either extreme could be true, and yet you were doing... A, a half and half almost does that make sense well you're right there it's like there are maybe three paths there's the path where you eschew all hopes or at least outwardly professed hopes of monetary success or you know whatever and then there's also the path where you say i don't have any money and i can't do this forever unless i make some money so i want to do something that people are gonna like yeah but it, but but to your point, that's a dangerous path because trying to calculate what people are going to like because that happens here. That's why it stuck out to me so much because right because that's we all go through that where it's yeah. like, well, I'm not making any money. I guess I should start going and doing dog food commercials if I can, or oh, yeah. I'm not. I want to write, but I want to write something that a network will want, which doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to love it, but they'll love it, and then I'll have money. Do you know what I mean? Like and that stuff still exists very much yeah. in as as adults in any creative capacity. I think we all sort of come to that point of reckoning over and over again or just once or you know what I mean and it's tough though because it's sort of a at what cost I mean Absolutely. because if you if your plan works and they do like that 
are they really going to let you do the other thing that you really wanted to do the whole time? So we spent about four years from the time I dropped out of college till the time I was 23 doing these different bands that, um, you know, it was pre, it was just right before Nirvana was breaking. And, and that was, you know, we were doing these rock bands and, and how many people would be in the bands besides the two? Uh, we did the, well, we did the three piece sleepy heroes. And then we did a four piece that um, my friend Joe played guitar and he came from LA and he came from a metal background. And so we were shredding and he was a lot of grown, you know, it was like, you know, it was a very kind of Nirvana sounding thing. A dist- I was playing a distorted rhythm guitar and it was a big, loud rhythm section and, and then um, some shreddy kind of guitar happening. And it, it was pretty fun, you know, but it wasn't, it never felt terribly natural. Mm. And when we did the songs that really felt natural to me, um, you know, the, there were critics in Dallas that would write about it at the time. And of course, I remember to this day the harsh criticism that we'd get. Oh, another mid tempo rocker from Rhett Miller's new Sludge Fest. Or whatever. Oh, no. And, I'm, and it was so frustrating. Oh, no. and, and, and it wasn't working. It wasn't, the calculation was misfiring. You know, there, there wasn't, um, you know, we would have A&R guys come out and they'd be like, it's pretty good. You know, some of the songs are pretty good and it would trail off, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. finally we got so frustrated and it, do you our, feel like it was, I hate to use this word, but yet I feel I need to use this word. Do you feel like it was lacking authenticity? Well, yeah, I think in a way there, there were, there were kernels of something very real in it because we were doing it. And, and I, I don't think any of us could have done it if it didn't have something in it that sure was of us. Sure. But we were processing it through something that we thought people wanted to yeah, hear. There you go. And, um, and so it was, I remember it was right around when Nirvana was on Saturday night live. And and I remember watching that and going, okay, this is it. You know, they, they, they've done it and they've done it well. And I'm never going to be able to do that. Like what they did. And they already did it and it's already yeah. done. And so whenever you see the zeitgeist <clears throat> really yeah. crashing through, you yeah. know that it's over, you know, because and, it was and, probably over before that. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not a huge Nirvana fan and I know that's like a sacrilege to say. Um, I certainly appreciate them, but like my friends who were obsessed with them when I was still listening to Talking Heads and stuff, you know, I was yeah. just like, that's not for me or whatever, you know, yeah. I was still whatever, whatever music I was into. And then I was kind of into like the cure and stuff. And, but, but I think I was, whatever was happening when Nirvana were breaking. I mean, I liked Pearl Jam, same, but like yeah. all of that stuff, I was like, Oh, I get it. Everyone loves this. And yeah. I think I had a little bit of that sort of like, but so I'm not going to, but also it felt like, Oh, he doesn't know how to be anything but that. Like, yeah. That's exactly who he is for better or for worse. And if you look at that and you're like, Oh, he is that. Yeah. Am oh, I that? Like, it, can exactly. I not be anything else? And if you're asking, even asking the question, then, you know, am I not that? Yeah. Then you're not that. And it's funny because I'm like you. I I liked Nirvana because what, at what they did, they were exceptional. But I didn't like all that stuff. I didn't like Pearl Jam. I didn't like all that. And and I realized, like, oh my God, I'm kind of doing something I don't like. So Murray and I both just shut it down. Mm. And we took like six months of no music. And it was a really, really weird soul searching time mm-hmm. because I'd thrown everything away to do this. And then Murray came to me one night. We were both listening to old timey country music uh, exclusively, you know, like Hank Williams Sr. and Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys and this old obscure rockabilly stuff. And it was, it was as if the whole kind of culture had gotten away from us. And it was going to this kind of angry, loud place. And we had gone along for a little while. And then we realized, Oh my God, this doesn't feel that right. It doesn't yeah, feel right. Yeah. And so we said, and we, and, and this is, 
the conversation that led to the conversation where we got our band name, we sat in this room in this little squalid apartment in Dallas, next door to where the first case of Ebola broke out last Yay, year. Hey, humble brag. I know. <laughs> we, um, we sat there and said, let's do a band that doesn't really stand a chance of getting signed, that nobody's going to like. And so this was the third path. I said there's three paths. There's the you can give the middle finger to the whole world and say, I don't want your money. You know, take your money and throw it in the ocean. I don't, right. I, don't I hate you all. Right. Which I always feel like is a little bit of like fear of success. I was going to say, I don't know. It's hard to know who actually yeah. feels that and who is afraid. Because if you say that, and then you can always say, well, I told him I didn't want it. Right. So I had no success because I told him I didn't want it. Sure. So, and then there's the people that, that calculate, and I think that rarely works, although, you know, they're the 98 degrees of the world that are sphingolied and forced down the throat of the public. And But but maybe those people, honestly, that's what they meant, because that's another conversation. Right. It's like, people are like, I'm, I'm going to use Adam Sandler, it's a bad example, but I think I've used it before, because obviously his movies don't do as, as amazing or aren't as applauded, you know, as maybe they once were, but like somebody like that, or somebody who's just straight ahead, who somehow captures the love of so many people, and that you, my, I myself might say, and he's the nicest guy in the world, but I myself might be like, God, it feels like he's dumbing down, or it feels like he's pandering, or whatever, and that's like, you know what, that might just be what he knows how to do and what he thinks is funny. And it's, it might not feel like he's, you know, 98 degrees might be like, this is our music. Exactly. This is exactly what our music is. You know, this, I, this is all I know how to do or they might not, but you know, if Adam Sandler was, I don't know, Mark Maron or somebody whose sensibilities were way more cynical and he decided like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to make a lot of money if I have a 45 second long fart or whatever. (laughs) Um, and, And then that's what he did. I think that people would sense not only the inauthenticity, but the fact that it was a really manipulative, disingenuous yeah. maneuver to get their money yeah. by playing off of how stupid he perceives them to yeah. be. And no. the, the timing is so much of it, too. It's like you might, ha- you know, for everything that had, it sounds to me like everything had to happen the way it did for you guys to arrive at the place that you arrived, which was like, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. Then we had to just put all that away. And then. You know, maybe if you had come to old 97s, thank God we still don't know why you're named that. If only if you would come to that from the very beginning, maybe also at that point, people would have been like, we don't want that. Exactly. And I wouldn't have been ready for it either because I wouldn't probably appreciate that something that was that weird and at the time that unpopular of a sound um you know, I probably in the back of my mind, I would have always been like, oh man, why can't we be doing like Nirvana's do or whatever? Yeah. Guess what? I tried that and it was, it was horrible for me. And so we made this band that was like, you know, just, we just wanted to play in coffee shops. We just wanted to play the kind of music that we liked. And, and if nobody ever liked it, we figured we'd at least get girlfriends out of it. You know? <laughs> it always comes back to the ladies. Of course, man. That's what keeps the world repopulating. <laughs> so, so we were trying to figure out what we would call the band. And we had really, we'd had so many band names over the years. Rhett's Exploding being the most egregious example of just... I feel like I remember you telling me about uh, that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, um, but we, you know, some of them weren't so bad. We had, you know, the Sleepy Heroes, I felt like was a pretty good band name. Yeah, it's great. Um, one of those proto pre-grunge bands was called Buzz. I mean, is there a more proto-grunge name than yeah, Buzz? Yeah, it really is. It's like you fed it into a computer and yes. spit back out the name for you. <laughs> so we had gone through so many namings of bands and so many late night, you know, conversations about what does it mean and what who's going to like it. 
And so when it came to this one, and the whole idea was that we wanted to be ornery in a way. We wanted to just be what we wanted to be. And mm-hmm. we didn't want to be popular. And we wanted it to be sort of obvious from when people heard our name that we weren't trying to be popular. Yeah. Um, and so we had a few, and it's just so hard to not be hayseed in that in this kind of world, to not be, oh, the railroad friends, you know, or whatever. <laughs> that's great. That's actually a go-to. Whenever we play with the an opening band friends. that's sort of really kind of doing the yeah. hee-haw shtick, yeah. like, who's opening? Oh, railroad friends. <laughs> so it. Murray came to me and he said, um... Uh, I have an idea. You know, the Johnny Cash song, "Old uh, Wreck of the Old 97. What if we were just called Old 97s? And I, of course, you know, pointed out the the bad marketing, you know, value of the word old. And and um, and he said, well, no, but it's like the 101ers, which was Joe Strummer's first band mm-hmm. before The Clash. Mm-hmm. And that sort of sealed it for me. I'm like, well, shoot, that does kind of sound like something Joe Strummer would do. Right. And so... That's how the old 97s got our I gotta tell you, too, I mean, for all of our quipping about the nature of that naming and um, and what you think is not a good marketing tool, I think that I... <clears throat> it's hard to say because once you know something, then you don't know, like, which came first. Like, did I know what kind of music it was before I knew the na- You know what I'm saying? Like, did I, did, I, did I immediately become acquainted with the music and the name at the same time? I would say I don't think I did. And I think based only on the name... I was exactly right about the music. So I think you did your job because I, I there was nothing else it would be in my head. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does sound like it sounds like it's a reference to something kind of old timey, but then it's got like a mysterious aspect to it because like, what is an old 97? And think, you know, when we named the band this, it was 1994. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea of the year 1997 was one of those things that was just looming out in the distance. Right, right. And I thought, well, God, there's no way we're going to make it to that year anyway. (laughs) Do people now, like, do young people who have no sense of anything think that it is a reference to 1997? Some people that come up uh, get confused and and write it as Olds 97, thinking it's reference to a 1997 Olds mobile. God, but whatever. It's still, you know, at least it's at least it's not. At least it's got a mysterious aspect to it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not something that's just super obvious, right? Now let me let me go back to this private school that you went to yes, uh, in Dallas, St. Mark's of Dallas, St. Mark's, Mark's School of, of Texas, Texas all boys private school. school. Okay, so it was an all boys school. It was connected to Hockaday, which is an all girls school. That's a, a terrible Hockaday. They were sister schools, and my grandmother had gone to Hockaday, and she was credited a million years ago with uh, as a newspaper writer for the Hockaday newspaper, coining the term Hockadaisies. I appreciate that. Any <laughs> any made up put together of two words into one word, I'm it's I can get on board for if I like it if it's punny enough. Oh, and there's still hockadaisies to this day. We'll all see. the little girls at hockaday, yeah, Look at that legacy. That's pretty cool. Um, and what and so what were your friends? I mean, if you weren't doing particularly well, was it just sort of a general impatience and like dreamer quality that you had that was just like I don't get why this is important or. Yeah, it was it was it was a weird thing. Cause, <clears throat> and you said your family was a little bit on the rocks. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother and a younger sister whom I love very much, and mm-hmm. and I'm going to be on vacation with them next week. So we're nice. still super close, and and their kids are so great, and our kids all love each other. It's I, I feel really lucky because I you see a lot of families that splinter pretty quickly, sure, especially when there's sort of a broken home element, you know. And and it was tough when we were growing up. My um, my dad has come a long way. There there was a time when he just kind of wasn't around a lot. He worked a lot, and um, 
and by the by the time I was seventeen, he it had been quite a few years since he had really been home consistently, and that was mm-hmm. when he moved out, and my folks got divorced, and my sister was twelve at the time, and it was really tough. And those le- years leading up to it were re- really tough. Um, but did you almost wish that it had happened sooner? In the sense that it kind of already was happening? Were you the kind of kid like me that, like, you'd look at older Mm -hmm. kids that had braces and go, like, God, I wish I had braces? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I had braces, I guess I had braces when I was in sixth grade. So I got them pretty fast. I wanted, but I do feel like I wanted braces, I wanted glasses. Well, did I split when I was very young, so that was already taken care of. Yeah, well, see, I looked at kids with braces and with broken homes like you, and I was like, I wish my parents would get a divorce. It just seems so cool, you know, two houses, two, you know, whatever, like an idiot. I'm thinking like, oh, that'd be great. And but I think, I think, but I also think that there has to be some foundation for, like, I don't yeah. think you would think that yes. if your parents had a great marriage. Exactly. That's something that occurs to someone who's like, I mean, things aren't great as they are, so might yeah. as well have two houses. Yeah. And I remember at the time, the, I, the, the appeal to me seemed all about like the logistics of it. But I think it was, I was sensing the beginnings of what would eventually sort of, um, you know, end their marriage. But and and they're both really happy now. They've both remarried and they've got really good lives. And I've got good relationships with, with both of them. But but yeah, at the time it was super hard. And um, and I, I wasn't easy. You know, I I had a lot of issues as a kid. Um, I was the oldest, and and I in fourth grade I got this really weird inner ear imbalance that had me in the hospital for like three months where I couldn't walk with without falling down. Oh and God! I mean, I've definitely because I used to have tonsillitis all the time, oh, yeah. and I would have lots of ear infections, and that. Still to this day, like any inner ear thing where I start to feel like woozy or wobbly or foggy. It's weird, right? Thank you. Because it's so mysterious and it's not like something that you can just go, oh, this is like vertigo kind of. Yeah. And my thing was kind of undiagnosed or undiagnosable for Mm -hmm. a long time. I mean, towards the end of it, I'd been in the hospital for like months and and my my folks would kind of come spend the night some and then eventually they're like, we got to go on with our lives. And, you know, and what age was this? Fourth grade. I was the Ugh. age my son is now, fourth, fifth grade. Yeah. And, um, oh, that is rough. It was weird, but, but, um, you know, whatever. It's the, the things that you go through make you who you are. And, sure. and, uh, and I survived it. And at the end of it, it, I remember they sent me up to Syracuse, New York, and my dad and I flew up there. And there was a panel of specialists seated at a horseshoe shaped table. Oh, my. And my dad rolled me in, in a wheelchair. And, um, and they said, Can you walk for us? And I was like, Well, I, I can't, you know, really walk. And they said, Well, can you crawl for us? And I said, oh, okay. And so I crawled oh in circles God. on the floor. And I just remember the shoes of Whoa. these, you know, patent leather loafers memory. and tassel loafers and these doctor's shoes. And I remember thinking like, oh, my God, I have to get better. This is so lame. Oh, God. No and, kidding. And, and it was really tough on my parents. And um, my dad had broken his back not long before. And he'd had his, his own whole thing. So there's just a lot that went on. And then... The year after that, it was a public school that I went to. And in a pretty, uh, you know, my grandparents had had some money. And so there, we were still on the outskirts of the nice part of town. So we were in this Highland Park is the school system in D- in Dallas that's um, really wealthy, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jordan Spieth came from Highland Park, the golfer now that's, that's dominating. I think he's Highland Park. Anyway, it's 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 a rich kid school. Mm-hmm. And, and we were not rich, which was its own sort of weirdness. And I, I didn't have any friends. All I did was read books and I, I got beat up for not having a maid. I got beat up for oh reading books. I got called opera singer cause I had the solo in the fourth grade school pad, you know, play. Yeah. And, um, 
it was just not fun. I, I felt like the emphasis at this school and in this community, in this sort of wealthy community, was one that I couldn't live with. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I researched schools and I found um, Simon's Rock of Bard College up by where I live now in, in Poughkeepsie. Um, I live right across the river from that in New Paltz. Um, Simon's Rock is this really cool, smart school that's like a, that bleeds into college where your last year or two are college credit years. And I found that. And then I found St. Mark's School of Texas, which was the best school in the Southwest, you know, and, and it had the highest matriculation rates to the best colleges. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as a fourth grader, I was reading, I was, you know, I was reading Catcher in the Rye. I was reading these, and I remember when I went into interview for St. Mark's, they said, what's the most recent book you read? And I said, well, I just finished Catcher in the Rye, and I I really liked it a lot, you know. And I talked about his relationship with Phoebe, his little sister, and and they were just looking at me like, who told you you could read Catcher in the Rye? Yeah. And I was like, well, my mom told me, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I was thinking about this the other day. My son is that age now. He's He just finished fifth grade. But um, Easter of this year, I gave him a book that I had really liked. And it was not as much literature as Catcher in the Rye is. In fact, it's being made into a movie with Matt Damon. It's called The Martian. Oh, it's, okay. It's a really smart book. But there's four F-bombs in the first paragraph. And, uh-huh. and that was in his Easter basket. And his all his cousins... <laughs> And they're all looking at their Easter baskets, and he pulls out, and he's like, oh, cool, a book. And he opens it up. He's like, ooh, maybe I'll <laughs> share this one with the churchgoers. Uh, that's hilarious. But so um, but so I went to St. Mark's <clears throat> and, and really loved it. And, and it was sort of that be careful what you wish for, because the first couple of years, I really felt finally like I fit in. And then I... Were there I, a lot of other creative young men and like... No, but there was a lot of other just... readers and a lot of <laughs> other... Um, there's a lot of smart kids. There were a lot of kids that... that um, it was more important to them to be intelligent than to be cool or, mm-hmm. or even athletic. And I, and so I tried to stick with the athletics and, and I was on the football team in eighth and ninth grade and on the basketball team in eighth grade. And, and I, I really loved it, but at a certain point, you know, adolescence really, um, I think especially with boys and it hits later than with girls. And when it hits with boys, it's just so violent, literally violent. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember trying out for the football team, in ninth grade and suddenly everybody was bigger and there were mustaches and uh-huh. their voices sounded like this. And, uh-huh. and, and, and I was already starting to play music and, and, you know, grow my hair out a little bit. And well, yeah. Of, and if you were an Anglophile, that's not exactly, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like when I, I wasn't listening to the who thinking about the who, like in basketball shorts and high <laughs> socks, you know, No, you're like a rock and roller. Yeah. And so like their sport is scooters. Yeah. And so these kids would line up across from me in the line and they'd, you know, encourage me to quit the football team <laughs> i'll put it that way and finally i was like yeah okay i will i'll quit the football team and um and so uh, i just I, I decided that rock and roll was more my bag and i started doing you know gigs when i was 15 and then i so to to your question about why did i get f's it was because i was doing gigs the night before and i'd come in and biology at 9 a.m which is something that i didn't even want to know about anyway yeah. i'm like I think flowers are beautiful. If you start explaining to me why they're beautiful, I'm going to go to sleep. Right, right. So I, I feel. Yeah, why did that? I feel, I feel like when I look back, all of the classes that were the most detrimental for me to have in the morning, I had in the morning. Yeah. Like I'm really remembering that now. Like I remember having geometry in the morning, pre algebra in the morning, biology in the morning. Like why couldn't I have had English in the morning? That never happened. I never had like a creative <laughs> thing I was good at in the morning, except maybe French. I think I had French as my first period one uh, year. Oh, bien sûr. Oui, bon matin, tu sais. 
But um, yeah, it's funny. It's funny because that makes it even harder. Like I hated getting up in the morning. Ugh. I was out of it. Yeah. And then to try to focus on something that requires the most concentration. Do you think other kids w- did that thing where they like wake up and they're like, oh, first thing in the morning is when I feel most alive or whatever. Or were we just weird? <sighs> I don't know because I don't. I never thought of myself as a morning person. And a lot of the time, like, I mean, I feel bad saying this now because my dad's a high school teacher, but I would fake sick and stuff and then suddenly start feeling better around third or fourth period. Like I would want to take the morning off of school. And I just, you know, but then, but then also like I was a kid who had sort of the, that ADD thing where like I was really hyper in the morning no way, all the way were? up through, all the way, but like not in a focused way. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like not like I didn't want to get up. I remember waking up, especially in the winter when you had to wake up and go to school and waking up and having uh. a sinking feeling as if someone had died. Oh, do you remember Sundays Depression. and how bad Sundays, like oh, Sunday God, evening? Oh God, you had to go back to school on Monday. Oh, it was the dread. Oh, the end of summer. The end of summer oh. still is like this wild, lonely, desperate feeling yeah. of like, I don't want to get a new trapper keeper. That's not going to make me feel <sighs> better about going back to school. And I know, I think my, I think ugh, they'll probably listen to this and I'll get in trouble. I think my son is going to be pretty good about that because he's, he's, he deals with stuff better than I ever did. But I really see my daughter dealing with things a lot of the same way I do. And, oh, I feel for her. It almost, sure. it just makes me want to weep sure. when I think about it. Does she go to public school or does she go to? We live in a really great public school yeah. area. I mean, I went to public yeah. school because this is what I was going to say. And this is a horrible thing to say. But I do think that some... <laughs> As a person who went to public school, these guys know I like talking about public school versus private school maybe too much. But as a person who went to a co-ed school is yeah. the more important thing. Yeah. Um, I've talked to people who are like, thank God I didn't go to a co-ed school. I've talked to people who are like, thank God I did. I feel like having crushes on people, gay or straight. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, you go, if you're going to a, a private school and it's one gender and you're gay, lucky you or you're yeah. bi, lucky you. <laughs> because I feel like a lot of the time, what took me into school was like, I had a crush on someone. Oh, that's funny. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like, I think to myself, like, what would my relationship to school have been if I didn't have that sort of sexual electricity when I was in high school? And I don't know what the answer to that is. I honestly God, don't know. You're making me wonder something I've never wondered. I, I've, I've always dated women who were a little bit older than me, you know, like a year, three years, whatever. Because you didn't associate school with sex. But you know right? what? The crushes I had were on my French teacher, were on the woman that worked in the library. Sure. So I did have crushes, but they were on older women. Yeah. Oh my God, so how so much fun. does that dictate like where your interest is and how does that stuff inform it like the rest of your life of and all that kind of stuff? Boy, those, so interesting. those years are so formative. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I've tried normally not to talk about my kids in press stuff just because I feel like, A, they didn't ask to be dragged into it. Sure. And B, it's not that becoming for a rock and roller because I'm on stage like swiveling my hips and thrusting my pelvis. <laughs> you know, you don't want to think about like, oh, he's also a dad. Uh, right. But um, I do feel like it speaks so much to what you do with with this podcast that to, to think about sort of what for instance, my son is on the brink of, and, um, I just recently had to have to talk with him about masturbation. And it's such a funny thing because I really want to take all the shame out of it for him Yeah. because, Oh my God, it's just so stupid. The way kids get messed up with, I mean, not just obviously, you know, with sex in general, but you know, with that, I just want him to know like, Hey, it's okay. Yeah. Poor Max. I'm talking about it. Oh, but, and I'm sure he never will. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm sure he won't. I'm sure he never has, never will. No, but that's, I, I wonder if this is, I feel like I've said this before, but I can't remember if it's on a podcast or in life, but, um, I'm so interested, like as we, 
Aren't, don't you wonder how as we uh, evolve as a culture and, and the way we raise our kids and we remove some of these stigmas and we remove the shame about a lot of different stuff makes me wonder what people's sexual proclivities are going to be like will there always be um fringe stuff and i mean there all there always will be because things will always happen differently for everyone but if you start stripping away some of that stuff it just makes me wonder like what people's like fetishes are going to be do you know what i mean i just wonder because some i think some of that stuff is born out of like well you should be ashamed of this or you saw this happen you felt weird about it but then you also felt sexy about it and then you kind of went down that road for that reason and do you know what i mean sure yeah we're like the uh the thrill that you feel is uh, inextricably connected to whatever the bad thing was or whatever Yeah. yeah i wonder if as things are like are we becoming more open-minded and more accepting or are we not we're because more puritanical about yeah, that's sort of what it seems like yeah. i mean uh, you think of europe as being a lot more open and accepting um you know you think of the 60s as being a time when you know it was a lot more free love and a lot less you know judgmental and just shitty to people about so what so somebody likes that who cares right like aren't there bigger more horrible things in the world and who wants to pork who yeah ma uh-huh. um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for classing up who wants to pork whom oh wow oh god that's maybe the best thing that's ever been said that's beautiful um yeah i know i agree but i do but then at the same time you feel like socially it's becoming like there's so much that's coming to the forefront of, you know, gay rights and trans rights and all that kind of stuff. But there is still sort of it, the whole gay marriage thing that kind of goes down the road of like if we if we if we if we parallel this be quote unquote behavior, which, of course, I don't believe is a behavior. It is yeah. how you're born. But if we if we equate this to something that feels safe and family values, will then become more integrated into the main culture. And that's hard to do with like certain sexual practices that still don't align with marriage and don't align with, you know, like polyamorism, Aunt polyamory. Poly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you like, hear stuff the argu- like that, that where that's still fringe because it's like, well, yeah, you still need to love some one, one person. I know that's so weird. I wonder if that's really the next big um, area where we'll see change is m- more acceptance of, non-monogamy or yeah yeah well, i think you're already seeing that i think so yeah. many people are living alone and so many people are eschewing the trappings of you know oh you got to get married you got to have kids yeah, by this age absolutely. you got to do this and dude we live in a world where we really don't need any more kids you know and so everybody i see like i really love um jen kirkman's uh you know book and her you know her whole gestalt about this thing about don't pressure me to have kids because a I don't want to and b I'm doing fine without them and c the world doesn't need any more freaking kids. Yeah, we can't even. I mean, we're growing at such an exponential rate as a culture. Yeah, it's we can't. We're not going to be able to live on the earth anyway. So I wonder if that's I wonder if that's coming because I do think that we are we're all living so long and you know and you know having watched my parents find a love eventually later on with somebody else you know. <laughs> It's what it is, you know. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that to to vilify and and stigmatize, um, you know the the sine wave that is love, you know, to say, hey, you can be in love with somebody and then out of love with somebody and then you know whatever. Just if anybody's in love at all with anybody, we're all so lucky. <laughs> that's so great. We no, that's a great it. point. Who cares who's 
wants to pork whom. Um, I can't believe this. It's been almost an hour. I cannot even started this mash game, but I do play a mash game on the podcast, <clears throat> which I typically uh, try to marry to certain things we've talked about in the podcast. And I'll also add things that I know about you um, outside of this, because I'm fortunate enough to have a uh, friendship with you that extends past this podcast. Um, so do you already, you know, mash, do you know how to play mash mansion, apartment, shack and house? Yeah. Uh, wait, shout out to orange is the new black in my fantasy someone listens to my podcast who writes for that show because they just introduced that in this latest season Ooh. there's an episode where they play mash and i'm like i'm the only other person i know who's no <laughs> talking about mash and no, no, you guys. i bet you're right i mean right? that's my fantasy uh you're pretty beloved i don't, I don't want anyone to that. tell me otherwise i want to believe that that's the case um well i haven't played it since i was a kid yeah it's only gotten better okay <laughs> in my version the first one is going to be, uh, let's get this out of the way right away, three musicians, bands, singer-songwriters, someone that um, it's likely you won't have the chance to perform with for one reason or another. Death is probably a big one. Yeah. Uh, that it would have been great to share the stage with. Well, David Bowie's always been my number one Love it. idol. And and I've had people that, that um, recommend that I should write to him and write him a letter and reach out. And maybe he'd want to write songs. or And, and, and I'm so terrified of it you know i just he means so much to me that i i can't i don't know i don't know if i can give up the relationship we already have yeah it would be cool if i mean yeah i totally i first of all i completely and totally get that and i and i i always say um that i want to meet someone like on some sort of equal footing to where like you would meet him backstage at a show and he would say to you i love your music and then you would be like well listen you know, opposed to like, Mr. Poe, hi. Exactly. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's full. Well, Elvis Costello was always that for me. In fact, when I lived in LA um, years ago, I ran into him at Book Soup, literally, where we were going around a corner and I, bam, ran into him and I knocked all the books out of his hands. Oh, this is gorgeous. And what I'm, a great meat cute. I know. Cinema. And I'm wearing my Elvis Costello glasses. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And I've probably written three songs that week that, that straight ripped off his entire oeuvre, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I look at him and, and I think to myself exactly what you just said. I think I'm not going to do it. If I ever get to meet him, it's going to be because we are sharing a bill. Right. We're introduced by mutual friends. Yes. And eventually it happened. And yeah, we, that's and we great. had dinner at Nobu next to each other. Oh, and, that's great. And he talked, you know, it was so funny. He talked shit about this guy outside of the venue that we had just left. He goes, oh, he was wearing the straight up this year's model outfit and i'm like oh my god i'm so glad i didn't talk to him because when i ran into him (laughs) yeah that's great oh that's perfect okay david bowie give me two more um joan jett uh, i think i I could theoretically meet her she's she's around and still killing it yeah but when i was you know i'd come out of the hospital do you want me to just give you the answer and not explain it no, I like the okay. explanation. That's a big part of it for me. When uh, when I'd come out of the hospital with that weird illness, um, the whole summer afterwards, I had to walk around using those crutches that go around your wrists. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the little oh, tiny yeah. Tim crutches. And so um, somebody at Pace Concerts in Dallas um, knew my mom, and somehow I got tickets to see the Texas Jam that year, which was the big outdoor concert. And it was I was a little kid, and I'm a million years old. So it was like... Um, Sammy Hagar and Journey and Joan Jett. And when I'd been in the hospital, my parents had brought in a little record player yeah. and I had played my three Joan Jett and Runaways albums on a loop. Yeah. And I was so in love with Joan Jett. And I, yeah. at the time, I didn't even... I was in fourth grade. I didn't really know that she maybe even didn't like boys, you know, like uh-huh. that, like that. But, and, and I didn't even know that I liked, it was, I just loved her. I yeah. just loved her so much. I loved her attitude, her strength. It was something that I couldn't, and I've never had, you know, I've, to this day, I've done, 
countless hours of therapy trying to be able to stand up and say, I don't give a damn. You know, yeah. I've, you know, I, you know, like to just really, I, I've all, I'm always apologizing and, oh, I hope you're okay. Let me, what can I do to make you happy? Yeah. And, and so it's just not, I wanted to be what she is. And so I wanted to meet her. And I, and so the Texas Jam people brought me backstage. Oh, God. And, um, this and, is the best. And I had my little crutches on and I had an eight by 10 and a Sharpie in one hand clutched to the little handle of the crutch. And they said, okay, well, Joan Jett is going to be coming from her trailer to the stage oh. in a minute. And so, um, we're not going to have very long. We'll just stand right here. And as she walks past, we're hoping that we're going to get a moment with her. And so, she was surrounded by her band, but I forced my way into this crowd because she's little and, and they were all big. And so I kind of pushed my way so that as they walked past, she walked right by me. And in the moment where I could have said, you're my hero, can I get your autograph? All I could think to say was, are you Joan Jett? Oh. And she said, yeah, and kept walking. Oh. I wanted so bad to hug her oh, or God. tell her I loved her. And oh, so well, you gotta write a book about yourself. It's <laughs> a really good story, <laughs> little oh, Joan. And I thought it. maybe I'd meet her someday, and I just have never gotten to meet her. But I've never, you know, I know what it's like. She was about to go on stage in front of thirty thousand people, yeah. you know, and. So what if I was on crutches or yeah. whatever, you know, she, it, maybe she thought like I did. Well, after the show, yeah. you know, I got to go on stage right now. Afterwards, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. we'll hook up and have a talk or whatever. Yeah. And the woman from Pace said she would get the autograph and it never happened. Oh, I never God, got it. But, but I didn't care going. because I, I really, you know, even though that was my moment of connection with her, I I really got the charge yeah. of walk, somebody that I felt like I knew Walking on stage, sure, and I get that feeling myself from my from my job. And I had a few moments um, watching David Bowie come off before the encore on the Sirius Moonlight tour. I was there. Yeah. I was dating Debbie Loeb at the time. It was Lisa Loeb, the singer's uh-huh. younger sister. And Lisa took Debbie and I, and we sat in Reunion Arena on the side of the stage. And David Bowie came off after the. Uh, end of the set before the encore and someone handed him a towel someone handed him a lit cigarette someone handed him a cocktail and he stood there and 17,000 people chanted Bowie Bowie and he mopped his forehead and smoked his cigarette and like kind of had a moment of zen and then he went back out and something about those moments, her walking on stage and him going back out for the encore it's like this really solitary moment that that sort of emphasizes the grandiosity of the moment that's about to come. Yeah. And and I loved that. And I, I, I thought that. I that's, that. that's a job I could do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. God. Okay. David Bowie, Joan Jett. Good luck with number three. Cause they're two amazing stories. <laughs> um, God, uh, what if um, you're like Hootie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I've gotten to hang out with those guys. They're, they're, they're quite <laughs> I'm nice. I'm sure they're great. Fact. I'm yeah. sure they're great. That's a, I don't mean that in, in a disparaging way, other than that is a contemporary of sure. yours. Then and who it, cares? There's nothing about it that seems like glamorous. Oh, or... yeah. Like paint your way. Like, to, you know, good luck. Good luck. I don't see that happening. Um, you know what? I'll go. I'll go the opposite direction. There's a young singer from Australia named Courtney Barnett. That, oh yeah, you spoke about her earlier. Yeah, everybody's nice. obsessed with her, and and I think she's just fantastic, and she seems like she'd be super fun to hang out with. Great. Don't think necessarily that I. Will, well, who knows? Whatever. Well, who knows? No, but I like this. I like that uh, we're putting it out there in this way. All cool. of these. Um, okay. Next category will be uh, three books that you can go into and they're real worlds. So you're not a character in the book. You're just, it's just a place you can go and people you can visit and, uh, and just like hang out and be in that place. Um, 
there's a book by David Mitchell um, that was sort of his uh, British version of Catcher in the Rye, mm-hmm. sort of coming of age novel called Black Swan Green. Okay, that I really love Black Swan Green, and it's it's funny. It's about um, a little uh, a kid in England who's you know going through adolescence and his family his parents are having a lot of problems and he has a stammer and he feels like an outsider and um which those are the best coming of age novels nobody wants to read about a kid that's got it all shit together got it all together yeah Yeah. um okay so black swan green great um god i i really love books so many of the books that i read are what we would call genre fiction Mm -hmm. so kind of embarrassingly lowbrow uh-huh but there's a series um Oh, this is so lowbrow. And especially if you only know it because of the movie that was so uh, inaccurately cast with Tom Cruise as the lead role. There's a series. Um, oh, I'm embarrassed that I'm even saying this, but I'll say it anyway. Cause, say it. Listen, yeah. I don't have any. I, these guys know I spend a ton of time just rereading books I read when I was in fifth grade. There you go. And feeling like I get huge, uh, a huge lesson out of them and stuff. So oh. like, I'm not. I'm not gonna I don't know I don't know I won't I won't be able to have a conversation with someone who's reading like War and Peace. Sure. Really. You reminded me last night I was at a club and I met um a woman who just started writing uh for Veep, this really smart young writer named Alexis, and she was telling me that she just reread uh no no, she didn't just reread it, but in fourth grade she read Are You There God It's Me Margaret and we were all laughing like yeah, kid, fourth grade kids are not encouraged to read Judy Bloom anymore. Yeah. There's, oh, speaking of masturbation. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And now that I think about it, I think that when I get home, I might push that agenda. Anyway. Um, Do it. So there's a series about this former uh, military police guy who just kind of goes around and helps people out of jams. And his name is Jack Reacher. Yeah. And it's a, yep. the Lee Child's Jack Reacher series. And I just, oh, there's something so amazing about it. Um, I guess the final one, and this is also lowbrow, but it's weird and old enough to where I'm not as embarrassed. Um, uh, there's a writer, John Dixon Carr, who mm-hmm. was a contemporary of Agatha Christie. In mm-hmm. fact, she, she frequently cited him as her favorite author. Yeah. Um, and he had uh, his equivalent of like Hercule Poirot, who's her fam- uh, Agatha Christie's sure. famous detective. His was this detective named Gideon Fell. And Gideon, did they ever? Did PBS ever do anything with Gideon? Pell? I don't think so. Oh my god, they really should because the stories are all there. We're all always looking for. I mean, I feel like I've really cycled through like every single like Inspector Morse, Endeavor, yeah, Hercule Poirot, you know, every just everything. Like even yeah. the really like super dorky ones, like yeah. not Murder She Wrote, but like the British version of that, which I somehow excuse for myself because I'm like, I mean, it is British. That's pipe. That's in and of itself highbrow. <laughs> I think. <laughs> So I guess I, I really, I really love that world, and maybe those, those, the last two, um, the second two, I think the the thing that they have in common are their worlds where there is a a right and a wrong, mm-hmm. and at the end of each book, the things that were so wrong will have been righted. You know, the the mm-hmm. murderer will have been outed, yeah. or yep. Jack Reacher will have taken care of whoever did the bad thing. Yeah, and I really like that. The real world doesn't work like that, yeah. and it can be frustrating wishing it did. Yep, but, I think that's a great point. But fiction offers that. I think that's a great point. I think that's that's very much what like sociologically people sort of talk about when they talk about like you're smart enough to be intrigued by something horrific like a murder. Yeah albeit fictionalized. Yeah. But then there's a sense of justice and a sense of sort of like, thank God people are smart enough to like fix this or yeah. whatever. Um, I mean, that's great. Okay. Three uh, places in the world uh, that would be fun to have a vacation home. Maui. Right. I'd be right next door to Willie Nelson. Perfect. We'd just be hanging out. Um, 
Golly, you know what I really love? Um, I've I've gotten to tour Japan a few mm-hmm. times, and I really love the culture and the people over there. Yeah. I don't think I would want a vacation home in Tokyo, but um, maybe Osaka. Mm-hmm. Great, 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 great. And then one more. Um, I miss Los Angeles. I'm going to go vacation yeah. home in. I don't think I can do Malibu though, just because I, I I would I think I'd always feel like a fish out of water. Uh-huh. But maybe um, what's what's outside of Malibu? Like maybe Ventura. Oh yeah, sure. That's I a spent little my more. summers uh, a week at a time in Ventura. Nice. Um, great. I spent one week of most of my summers in Ventura. Um, oh, so we want stance socks or any other fashion people to give Janet free clothes. Uh-huh. And anybody that has a free house in Ventura, they want to give me. Yeah. I'll take it. That'd be great, guys. Let's get on it. Um, okay, next category is, uh, this is MASH. So all due respect to your beautiful wife, um, This I do need alternate universe. Now, it can be short-term sexy times. It can be long-term <laughs> alternate universe uh, companion. Uh, any person from any time, any age, obviously it's more fun for us if we know who they are, sure. but it could be, you know, yeah. 30-year-old Meryl Streep. It could be, oh, you like know, any, it could be anything from any any place. What was the line in Swingers? I'd like eggs in the Age of Enlightenment. There you go. Well, she said I want breakfast anytime. Um, there you go. Okay, so, golly. Oh, I like this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, can we throw Joan Jett in there? Yes. That's good because you have like a, that gives you a double chance. Ooh, nice. being around her. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, um. Boy, it's so hard to think. Oh, Francoise Aldi. She's a French chanteuse who came to prominence in the 60s. So I'll say 1968, Francoise Aldi. Okay, great. Although she's still... Smoking. Gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. Love it. Um, Finally... Oh, you know, and I've actually met her one time, but I'm going to throw her in there just because she's been on my mind lately. I was listening to an audiobook where she was reading one of her brother's short stories, Amy Sedaris. Great. Love Amy Sedaris. Great, great, great. Love it, love it, love it. What a great combo of women. Um, fantastic. Okay, three. Let's go with three like versions of your life as directed by three film directors. Like, how do you want to see yourself? Like, if you could see, you know. Not necessarily that it really is a movie, but like, what would your actual life look like as director? Like, how interesting would the, from the lens of these three directors? Does that make sense? Sure, of course, of course. I wish I was as much of a cinephile as um, my friend Richard Edwards that sings in Margot and the Nuclear So and So's knows every director and yeah. everything. It's okay if you don't. I mean, you can go with um, some classics. No, no, like, I feel this, like I would pick people that everyone knows who they are. Sure. Is this idealized? Like, yeah. I mean, or, it's like, like I, like I, like, like for just for the artistic visual of it, of it alone, I would probably still pick Wes Anderson, yeah. just because I would like. I want my life to have the costumes and sets yeah. and quirkiness of those movies. Well, now you said you that. How can I pick Wes Anderson? You can pick Wes Anderson <laughs> because it's a smart choice. Well, it's funny, you know, his, his movie Rushmore that he wrote with Owen, yeah. Owen went to St. Mark's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Wes went to the equivalent school in Houston where we used to do arts festivals together yeah. and stuff. And, the, and that is a lot. I mean, it's sort of a sort of blown out version of the school that we, that we went to. Let's so. put him in there. I'll put Wes I think, Anderson. I think you have more right to have fun. him in there than I do. <laughs> Wes Anderson. Perfect. Um, gosh, who else? Um, um, it's funny. I, I, I don't really know that I, I've ne- I haven't watched all his movies because they get too violent for me. But um, 
But I think it would be fun in the same way that I said Jack Reacher is one of my, the yeah. worlds I could live in. I think it would be fun to have um, crazy old Quentin Tarantino. Oh, absolutely. Be absolutely. Because the person that I'm not, that I wish I was, yeah. kicks so much absolutely. ass. Absolutely. And, and still has yeah. a sense of humor and yeah. still, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, and and like I think it. that's great. That's and a sort great, of a moral that's a great compass, choice. But, yeah. You know. Great choice. Um, and then finally, um, God, I wish I knew all those fancy old French directors. I don't, but they're, but they're, they're so beautiful. Those black and whites. Oh yeah. I mean like a Truffaut would be. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's totally what I'm thinking of is beautiful. Truffaut. Can, can we do something like that? That's really super yes, artsy yes. and beautiful. And no, because a bunch so of pigeons are flying away yeah. and then they reveal behind them. The lovers well, like kissing. like built in longing to any of those movies that yeah. I think is so fabulous. Wonderful. Love it. Um, okay. Next one is uh, you wake up tomorrow and you have downloaded sort of matrix style three skills. Let's make them real world skills opposed to like, sure. you know, time travel or whatever. Superhero skills. Yeah. Um, oh, God. I, I, well, it's it, it seems weird. I've always wanted to be... I mean, considering that what I do for a living is walk up in front of people and sing my songs, and I'm, I've never felt terribly confident. And, and, and I, I don't know, maybe that seems insane, but, um, but I wish that I felt... The way that I, I think I act on stage. Oh my god, that's the most adorable admission <laughs> I've ever heard. But I, I really relate to that. I think a lot of people do, and it's almost harder in a way when you feel like you know you have that secret in some sense. Like it's almost hard. Like then, then if someone just straight ahead thought of you as somebody who wasn't confident, you know, who wasn't like overly confident, but there's something because I feel the same way sometimes. Like when I do improv or something, I think to myself like, oh, I know that someone thinks I'm, which is maybe one of the reasons I like doing this podcast. Is I, I, it gives me the opportunity to strip all of that away. Yeah. Like rather than wanting to have the front. I'm, I feel better somehow being like, look, this is honestly who I am, guys. However, yeah. I might come off. Like that's I'm sweet. still this person. I think that's very good hear. for people to hear, yeah. you know, and to not be And some people, some people really just for some reason have like a ton of confidence and just don't, they're just like, I know I'm fucking awesome all the time. And I don't yeah. know why I know that, but I do. Oh, that sounds amazing. I know. I, 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 great. Um, you know, something that I'm not good at that I'd really wish that I had the skill is, um, financial acumen mm-hmm. like i wish i knew how to monetize what i do better Ugh, i wish God. i knew how to take care of what money i do have better yeah you know and now the more like because i have these kids and and um the only way i know how to feed them is to go out on the road which means i'm not with them and right. and i wish that i knew some maybe other way to make money or some way to make the money i have go further yeah but god i miss them so bad and it's like my my choices are be home and like not know how to pay our bills and be freaking out or be on the road and just be like on the phone with my kids going, I love you. I miss you. Oh, God, I feel like we got to find some way to get every one of your songs used. In something. <laughs> Isn't that that's the only thing I all I can think of because I, as it relates to what I do is like, God, it just feels like if you could just get your songs used, then you'll just keep getting paid whether or not you're on the road. Mailbox money. Let's get on to let's get into that mailbox money, guys. Let's dive into it. Everyone you know who is a music, <laughs> music supervisor. supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great. Financial. Okay, and then the third, and then just the third one. Um, I wish I was. I wish I was. Um, I wish I was better at exercising. I, honestly, cause I wish I. W- we talked about having ripped abs, and I don't think I really want ripped abs per se. 
But I do, I, I find that I'm too lazy mm-hmm. to get the kind of body I wish I had. But you have a great body, but also like it's extremely, it, there's, it, doing a show is uh, not, not exercising. There's a lot of calories burned. That's true. Yeah. But I just, I have friends that are, that'll wake up and go run five miles. And, yeah. and I, and I wish that I was more like that. And I've, I've That's a better. habit forming thing too, yeah. though, because I was like that for a long time and then I started doing it and I created the habit of doing it. And then like anything else, if you're a person who likes consistency in a, in a life you have that is fairly inconsistent, which is what I have, then those habits become really important yeah. because they kind of ground you. And so I think that's, I got lucky because now bicycling for me is that, and it's yeah. not, it's not so, I was thinking about that last night because I was tired and I was sunny yeah. and I was riding and I had started earlier than I usually like to, which is I like to be in the sunset. I don't like riding. Nice. Like this is a nightmare day for me, a nightmare. <laughs> People are like, what a beautiful day. And I'm like, it's a nightmare. There's no clouds. It's like 80 Your degrees. Fair skin. Is I just don't want get... it. I will wait until the sun is yeah. going down. But I was thinking as I was like huffing up this hill, like I'm not really enjoying this, <laughs> but I, I am enjoying that I'm doing it. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. conceptually, I appreciate that I'm doing this and I will feel great once I'm back home and I'll have the adrenaline and all that kind of stuff and the endorphins. And those are things that sort of replace the idleness of like, Ugh, but I could, you know, I don't want to be like panting and tired right now. Yeah. There's something about, but like knowing the consistency of it has become as important. So like in yeah. terms of habit forming, that's one thing you could do. But what, for me, it won't ever be like, and I got on the treadmill again. Yeah. That won't create that same satisfaction. Well, all three of these things are things I'm actively working on, you know, well, trying, you trying to own myself and trying to be better about money and trying to, you know, they're all, I think they're, they're all things, you know, it's they're not achievable. like, you said, it's not like time travel. Right. I, it's not something I can't do. And my daughter, whenever she's, she's younger, she's nine and, and, um, she go, dad, I wish you were here right now. Have you, have you figured out how to do, um, oh, oh, what's the, um, when you, uh. Not it's not time travel, like teleportation. Teleportation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, just have you, get here right now. Yeah. Have you figured out how to make a teleportation device? I'm like, no. I thought you were working on that. <laughs> so our big joke uh, is teleportation technology is what we're actively working on. Every amazing. Day. Well, what about that? Let's do the next category. I'm going to do the last two. Will be related to those two things. Okay. One category will be you can time travel to anywhere and in sort of a safe bubble, you can kind of observe and interact, but like you're not going to, you know, get influenza sure uh which by the way is just the flu everyone um and then the other one is um three places and activities that it would be fun to be able to teleport to with your kids oh yeah wow so let's do teleportation to some place with your kids place and activity anywhere in the world or off world sure oh my gosh um golly i i well i would love to take my kids to japan and right. obviously the traveling would be prohibitive at yeah, this so point. Yeah, not in this case. But um, but I'd love to, like Mount Fuji. Yeah. I, the biggest show I ever performed was food, the Fuji Rock Festival at the base of Mount Fuji. How fun. Half a million people stretched Holy out in front of the stage. Shit. And I was on right before the Pretenders, and it was this, such a beautiful day. And uh, I wish I could take them. I wouldn't want to go to that festival right. because crowds like that freak me out. Yes, me too. But, but, that, but it's so beautiful there. Yeah. I'd like to take them. Great. Love it. Mount Fuji. Okay, Mount Fuji. Two more. Um, well, uh, I guess I would take my kids also to Maui if Great. we could teleport. Great. Um, cause I'd like them to see where, you know, m- their mom and I got married and yeah. it's like the most beautiful sort of paradise place we've found. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I think it would be really cool to take them someplace 
where they could never go. Like, honestly, I would love to take them. My brother got to go there when he was young and my mom and I, I couldn't go cause of my, I was fourth grade and it was my, yeah. my illness. Um, the middle East. Yeah. It's so sad. Like, I, I don't know if in our lifetimes we'll ever really be able to travel through the middle East and I'd love for them to see that. It's great. I'd love great to choice. see it. I've never gotten to see it. Yeah. Great choice. Okay. And then our final category is, um, you get to time travel in a safe bubble. Uh, Eggs in the age to of anywhere, anytime. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I would love to see Shakespeare's plays. Um, oh, great one, great I, I one. Me too. Cheesy, but that was no. But it's there's. I think as like I've gotten older, I've been I've gotten so much more comfortable. I think I've said this before recently, but I've gotten so much more comfortable about being like, guess what? Yeah. There's a reason that we all still love William Shakespeare. Yeah. Like it's great. He, the plays are great. Yeah. There's no like you don't have to find some obscure thing that you know isn't as good because less people appreciate it. Exactly. Like it, they're great. The Beatles were great. Let's yeah. all just like get over it. Everybody. Exactly. It's okay. It's okay that there are people that there are hugely influential classics. And I think that's a great choice in my all English. Cause there's still so much mystery surrounding, like there's so oh, much yeah, controversy well, still with, you know, people about who in my dream, I'd and, be like in, in the, his box, like sitting next to him and I'd be like, yeah. are you actually William Shakespeare? Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. to see him like be like, oh, I'd rather have them say this. Like to see it oh live and, and a living, breathing thing where he's like, I'm going to have them change that line to something different tomorrow. Yeah. It'd be amazing. Um, I guess I would love to go to the late 60s, um, the heyday of rock and roll. Great. Because it's something I threw my hat into this ring with rock and roll when it was one thing and now it's something so completely different. Mm. You know, and it was a bit of a bait and switch. You know, I don't think I would do anything. I wouldn't change anything if I could go back, but I would kind of like to see like, hey, when you were allowed to be a golden god, you know, yeah, when, yeah. when rock and roll had all the mystique and all the yeah, absolutely. supernatural sort of qualities. Oh, God, that's great. That's but, absolutely great. Perfect. Late 60s. And what's your final one? Um, oh, um, I don't know. You know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go way, 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 way back yeah. to like... Just see, like, before any, I mean, not even technology, but before any, like, you know, when things were just really, I don't know about caveman, right. but when it was villages. Yeah. And when somebody who was, you know, Marshall McLuhan wrote that book, The Medium is the Massage. And mm -hmm. one of his predictions in the 60s was that we'd live in a global village. And he, he emphasized that there was a time when each village had its own best singer songwriter mm -hmm, person or whatever mm -hmm. you know each village had you know you, it was self-contained and you could be the best in your village and that was great yeah i'd kind of like to go back to that and yeah. see a time when when it was smaller when the mm -hmm. world was so much smaller mm -hmm. i love that villages i guess that's all i was going to put village people but i'm really <laughs> i'm really for sure not going to do that okay uh this is the part where i find out what your uh, number is going to be that helps me with the process of elimination so tell me when to stop stop okay uh i'm gonna do a little countdown um i'm gonna pause this guys i want to reassure you we're 160 episodes deep plus if you don't know by now that it will seem as no time has passed to you you need to revisit some old episodes all right listen a lot of good stuff has come from this mash game and i want to reassure you that your 100 percent guaranteed mash future uh <laughs> is a delight uh number one i want to congratulate you on your apartment in osaka Ah, cool. Uh, I think that sounds divine as a as a, an, a fellow fan of ja uh, the Japanese culture um, and Japan itself. Uh, I want to also congratulate you on the trip to the very safe uh, 
teleport with your kids trip to the Middle East, <laughs> which probably is maybe the most unlikely in a way. Um, so good on you. Uh, and also, like, I'm glad we got rid of Fiji, Mount Fuji because, you know, you have your apartment in Osaka. That's probably eventually going to happen redundant. anyway. It would be right? redundant, yeah. So uh, you were able to, to clear more stuff that way. Um, uh, if you want to travel into a totally other world that isn't any of those, um, I welcome you to uh, walk into the world of Gideon Fell. Oh, cool. Pretty great. Nice. I got to get into those books, stat. Um, or travel back in time and check out when things were simpler. And there were village people everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so good on you for that. Um, I want to reassure you and congratulate you on your performance with David Bowie. God, what if it happened? What if it actually happened because of you, Jane of I'm, I'm holding up this mash pad very significantly yeah. as if I'm quietly guaranteeing something I have no business guaranteeing. You know, he owns a home not far from where I live. He owns actually owns a mountain not far from where I live. I think that anything is... I really think... If, if a person is alive, anything is possible. There you go. Emma Thompson, I'm talking to you. Um, uh, and you know what? You the re, one of the reasons that you need not worry is that you have all the confidence in the world, so you know yeah. it's on its way. All right, I've just given you that gift. I guess it was mine to give. Turns out, <laughs> um, uh, you. I also am very excited to see your life uh, in the world of Wes Anderson. Interesting, nice, really, really good job. Uh, which uh, you also share with your uh, your beautiful alternate universe companion, Françoise Aldi. Oh, yeah. I think Wes Anderson probably is a fan of Françoise Aldi. I think I would agree. I mean, I, I see you guys uh, in cut, cutting a very nice jib, indeed, uh, in some really, really fantastic clothes <laughs> in, a, in a wonderful world. Um, that is your MASH uh, future. I love my it. My dear if, friend. I think if you, you ever had, has anybody else ever gotten Wes Anderson before? I don't think so. Nice. I don't think it, well, I, it's not a question I come up with that often. Uh-huh. So I feel like I've done it a handful of times and yeah. I don't think Wes Anderson has ever been achieved. I like it. Yeah, I know. It's a good, it's a coup. Yes. It's a real coup. Um, Rhett, what would you like to tell people? I will say that you just had an album come out fairly recently that is wonderful. Thank you. So why don't you tell the nice folks listening uh, about that? I had a solo record come out uh, on ATO Records called The Traveler that I made with a band from Portland, Oregon called Black Prairie that features a lot of members of the Decemberists and then a couple others. And yeah, I'm really happy with it. And Peter Buck from REM plays on there too a bunch, which was a dream come true. Absolutely. My little 14-year-old self is weeping. Those are the best. Those moments where you're like, I can I can still connect with the kid who's like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, And you're on Twitter. Pimping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm really active on Instagram mostly and some on Twitter. Are they both Rhett Miller? Just Rhett Miller. I got my own. Which was sort of annoying. I'm like, I thought I was famous enough to not be able to get my own name. But I guess I was in pretty early on both of those. Uh, I wish that I could even say I had that complaint. I was not concerned in any way that someone would already have my. Although. But I say it, I almost think that Instagram, there might be an at Janet Varney because I didn't pick that. That's right. Interesting. I got to do some research. We will find killing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Awesome. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. Thanks, Janet. Uh, Guys, check out all that stuff. Um, You need to get into all 97s and uh, and Rhett's solo stuff if you aren't already. I feel certain many of you are. But um, And we'll talk to you next time on the podcast. Oh, I almost forgot. Oh, my God. I almost forgot with a musician whom I asked last year, like... I know you're super busy and always on the road, but if you want to cover the song for me and like record it in a, a recording studio for me for no reason other than that it would please me, uh, please do so. 
you still have the opportunity to do that. But right now I have a, a, a thing I do with every boy of summer, which is to put them entirely on the spot and make them sing part of it on Henley's boys of summer. And I only very recently had a listener say, you know, what would be helpful, Janet is if you printed out the lyrics, I've uh-huh. never done that until just today. And every person leading up to this, if they don't know, I have to like feed them the words or just sing it for them. Not you, today. You know, what's so funny. Um, Hinley lives in Dallas, uh huh, and um, and we have friends in common, and I've I've interacted with him a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you're the first person that I know who has actually uh, interacted with John Henley. Well, and then back and when this song came out, he made a video in Dallas of the song. I remember that and, video very well. Sure, and in the video, there's a couple, like a young couple, that's frolicking amidst yeah. tall grass. Yeah, the girl is Ricky Haas, who I dated. Oh with, my within god. A, Within a year of that video. Oh, being wow. That is fucking nuts. It is. Oh, my God. So you can just pick like a stanza or the chorus or whatever you All want right. and just like give it a give it an off the cuff if you don't mind. Sure. No pressure. I can see you. Your brown skin is shining in the sun. I see you walking real slow and you're smiling at everyone. I can tell you my love for you will still be strong after the boys of summer have gone. <laughs> As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.